welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Right? So behind me, the screen says, dealing with distraction. Anybody know what it's like to be distracted? Yeah, I know I do, okay? So today we're going to talk about dealing with distraction. Let's go. Here's the first principle. Here's our guiding principle. When the enemy can't destroy, he distracts, okay? When the enemy can't destroy, he distracts, okay? And I've got a picture of a woman um, and she's feeding some ducklings, okay? And behind her in a bag, there is a larger sort of goose or duck, farm bird animal taking money from her handbag, okay? And the caption says this, distractions. Sometimes there are ulterior motives involved, okay? Sometimes there are ulterior motives involved. I want to just talk to you a little bit about pickpocketing. I don't know if you've ever been pickpocketed. I remember when I went to Venice uh, with my wife on our honeymoon, I left my phone charging in Venice airport against the wall, a very trusting person, and I fell asleep only to wake up to it being gone, okay? So I don't know if that even qualifies as pickpocketing as much as it should qualify as stupidity, but that is what happened. But anyway, listen, I want to talk to you a little bit about pickpocketing, and I want you to think back to when you were a child. I want you to think about magicians, okay? I want you to think about the way that magicians would make things vanish out of thin air It was a classic trick that would always fill children with wonder. Okay, the magician might hold an object in front of them, right, the distraction, and then draw the kids' focus away from the object as they cleverly hide it from view, right? A similar technique is used by pickpockets to trick adults. It's called distraction, Pickpocketing is then a very opportunistic scheme because it takes advantage of a target's altered awareness. That's how, okay? Look over here and I'll take something from over here. Look down there and there's a new device connected. I'm going to take a drink of water. (laughs) I don't know who did that, but I'm going to take a sip of water. We're back, we're back, we're back. I'm still going to take a sip. (laughs) Somebody's, somebody's sinking with my screen. <laughs> okay, let's try it again. Pickpocketing, okay. So pickpocketing is a very opportunistic scheme because it takes advantage of a target's altered awareness. Okay, we are living in an age, folks, of information overload. We need to take that on board, that idea. In particular information in the form of people's opinions. The result of information overload is usually distraction. It dilutes your focus and takes you off your game. And I want to give you another principle here. Distraction is an enemy of calling. Okay? You're called. Are you called? I'm called. You're called. We're called. Amen? Now, I want to ask you tonight, what time and talent and treasure could the enemy be lifting out of your back pocket through distraction? 
It's funny. What, what, what could he be lifting? Three. Too many of us are called, but distracted. Right? We are. Purposed, but preoccupied. It's the truth. I want to talk for a little bit about social media tonight. Okay? I'm a big social media addict. There's no judgment here. But I want to talk to you a little bit about social media because we are living in an age of opinions. We're living in an age where there is access now more than ever to each other's lives and each other's opinions. And it's through social media. Social media is a window. It's a door into the lives of the people around you. And it's right in your pocket. Listen to this. This is crazy. Most people check their phones 58 times a day. 58 times a day. For some of you, that's probably conservative, right? 30 of those times happen at work. Except if you're me, I never check my phone at work because I work here serving the Lord. Amen. (laughs) According to a study by the University of California in Irvine, it takes an average of 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get back to deep focus on a task once you have been distracted, okay? Another uh, group found that even a brief mental block can cause you to lose as much as 40% of your your productivity time, okay? In the US, screen time statistics, right? Apple found in the US that Generation X spends 169 minutes on their phone per day, right? And baby boomers spend 138 minutes, okay? And this is the most stunning part. When it, while it might seem significant, okay, or it's significant, it might seem like there is a significant difference between boomers and Gen Z, each generation spends over a month on their phone per year. That's a long time, folks. A month on their phone per year. And most of the time, if you're honest, it's just to see what other people are doing and what they're saying. It's true. Most of the time we spend on the phone, on our phones, is on social media, looking at other people, looking at their lives or what they purport to be their lives. I don't know if you know this, but social media is filtered reality. It's not really real. It's all the blessing and none of the burden, right? It's that snapshot at the family table and the fight erupts as soon as the camera's gone off, but none of that's recorded. It's the no selfie filter that obviously has a filter. It's the no makeup selfie when that person clearly has at least three layers of foundation on. It's a fabricated reality and it's drawing our focus all the time is being drawn through social media into the lives of other people. And where there is a lot of information, there is overload. Or in other words, where there's a lot of information coming at you at once, there's distraction. Focus. Okay, today we don't have a lot of time, so I want to just look at one source of distraction. One source of distraction. One area where I think we all can deal with distraction in a significant way. And it's discouragement. Today I want to look at discouragement. I want to look at the reality of being discouraged because we're focused on the opinions of other people. Okay? 
What is Twitter? It is the publishing of the opinions of other people. What is your Facebook newsfeed? It is opinions, opinions, opinions. It's people and their thoughts. There was a time where if you wanted your thoughts or opinions to reach a lot of people at once, you had to sort of be educated and have them published through a book, right? Now anybody can tweet something or post something. It's an interesting time to be alive, isn't it? Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6, please. Are you distracted by discouragement? A couple of quotes. Don't be distracted from your destiny trying to manage other people's opinions of you. What they think about you is none of your business. Right? Can I get an amen in the house tonight? What they think about you is none of your business. Okay? Don't be distracted by criticism. Remember, the only taste of success some people get is to take a bite out of you. Right? Interesting. In other words, what I'm telling you to do tonight, and millennials, you'll know straight away what I'm saying. Gen Z, you'll know. Stay out of the comment section. Stay out of the comment section. Okay? Stay away from the comments. People's opinions have the power to paralyze purpose in your life. Okay? And I want to show you from the life of Nehemiah what I mean. Let's start from um, chapter 6, verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. This is Nehemiah. He's building the wall. He's been sent back. He was a cupbearer to the king in Babylon. And now he's here. He's building, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He's on a holy mission, a holy mandate. And he's building and he meets opposition. Come, let us meet together, said some of his opposers, Sanballat and Geshem. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and I can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me this message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is, it is reported among the nations and Geshem. In other words, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's saying it. Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. Some translations say you're going to make yourself their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come and let us meet together. Verse 8, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you were saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Do you know what I like about that? There's a pastor in the States called Alistair Begg. And whenever the church 
receives a complaint, right? He signs the bottom of it, Nehemiah 6.8. <laughs> I love it. Nehemiah 6.8. Actually, when I heard that, he was in a conversation with R.C. Sproul. And he says, R.C. Sproul, before he died, he said that whenever somebody complained to him about the church or wrote any nasty letters, he would always write them back saying, I just want you to know that somebody is writing nasty letters to us and signing your name at the bottom. I just want to let you know that that's happening. I love it. Verse 9, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now God, in some translations, strengthen my hands. Amen. Let's look at this for a second. Dealing with distraction. First thing I want to say, if you're going to deal with distraction, folks, we have to sink, you have to sink, I have to sink your season. So Sunday we spoke about sinking your thinking. Tonight I want to talk to you about sinking your season. Okay, this is another awful picture. Let me describe to you what it is. It is a Christmas swim in Ireland. A Christmas swim. Have any of you ever gone swimming at Christmas? Yeah? You're brave people. Okay, most, most people know, some people have. Going swimming at Christmas. There's something wrong with this picture. It's not the season to swim, right? It's not the season to go out and swim. There seems to be a disconnect with the season and the activity. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a season to swim and Christmas isn't the season. There's a disconnect. But we have to sink our season. And I'm going to jump quickly into 2 Samuel 11. Keep your finger on Nehemiah 6. And we're going to look in the life of David for a second. King David. And it says this. In the spring of the year, uh, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And he looked over the city and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Folks, whether it was tiredness for David or for fatigue or fatigue, Whatever reason, David did not go with the kings to war at the time the kings were supposed to go to war, okay? So instead of allowing God to position him, David positioned himself, okay? David positioned himself. And there he saw a woman bathing. And I want you to think about this for a second. In David's life, God had led him into battle to face a giant, to reveal his purpose before Israel. I'm going to make you a king. I'm going to set you as the prince over my people. But David was supposed to go to a battle this time to avoid a woman. What would you think about that? God sent him into battle to face the giants. And David ought to have gone to battle to avoid a woman. Interesting. Now, so David, he put himself where he shouldn't have been. And there he saw something he shouldn't have seen. And I want to give you a couple of principles tonight, folks. 
First one is this, Ecclesiastes says this, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, okay? There's a season, there's a time for everything. And I want to talk to you for a second here about rhythms. Principle here, do not underestimate the importance of rhythms in your life, okay? God has ordained a rhythm for your life. Say amen to that. There's a rhythm, there's an ebb and a flow, a season for everything, a season for participation and a season for rest, amen? A season for activity. Uh, See, activity has to sync up with the season of life you're in. Principle number two, there's always a reason for every season. No one here tonight is just in a season, a moment, an instance in their life without God ordaining it and having a reason for it. However, something got David to withdraw. Something got David distracted. Something caused him to lose focus. And I want to say to you tonight as well, do not let discontentment breed distraction in your life. Don't let it breed distraction in your life. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says this, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraints. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. That's what the message says. And I've got a quote here. Um, People without clear vision are easily distracted. Isn't that interesting? When you lose vision, you open the door to distraction. And David lost vision. He lost sight of where God had ordained for him to be. He lost sight of where God wanted him in that moment, in that season of his life. So people without clear vision are easily distracted. They have a tendency to drift from one idea to another and often make foolish decisions that rob them of their dreams. What's coming out of your back pocket? What is distraction doing in your life? Listen, folks, principle here. God wants to give you a vision for the season you're in. He wants to give you a vision for your current season. Eyes fixed on purpose rarely wander. I said, eyes that are fixed on the purpose of God for the season that you're in rarely wander. It's hard for somebody serving the Lord, seeing what God's called them to do in in the season they're in, to get distracted. Just because I can't see the value or the impact of what the Lord is doing in my life in this season doesn't mean I'm going to withdraw. Amen? Right? I will not send Joab. I'm not sending Joab. I will not allow someone else do what I've been called, graced to do. I'm not. I'm not. God has called me. I have a call. I have a purpose and a reason to get up and go forward every day in my life. Just because I can't see how my involvement furthers my purpose doesn't mean my presence isn't important. Some of us don't come into church because we don't think we're doing anything important. Some of us don't rise up and say yes to ministry opportunities because we don't think we're doing anything important. Why do we think that the only important things in the kingdom of God happen behind a microphone? Why do we think that? Why do we do that? Why do we devalue who we are, where God has placed us, and what he's called us to do in the season that we're in? 
folks, listen to me. Some battles aren't about purpose. God sent David to fight a giant for purpose. But God sent him, wanted him, desired that he'd be in battle in that season for protection. I want you to think about that. For protection. Where would you be if you weren't here now? Some of us were saved by the grace of God. We're in the kingdom. Maybe a question we should ask ourselves when we feel ourselves drifting is, well, hang on, where would I be, Lord, if you hadn't saved me and brought me here and put me here? If I wasn't here, if I wasn't in the house, that's what does the scripture say? Psalm 84, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Why is it that we think because we're not behind a mic that we shouldn't bother? That's the problem of distraction, folks. And think about this. Even Joab's victory on the battlefield couldn't compare with David's failure. Israel lost because David lost. Israel lost because David lost. Say this with me tonight, folks. I will not underestimate my significance. I will not underestimate my impact. Do you know that you will not see or register the impact of your life until you step through into eternity? You don't know the weight of that conversation. You don't know the power behind that interaction. You have no idea what your focus in the season can bring about in the kingdom of God and in the lives of the people around you. So principle, sink your season Value the season you are in and your God-given role in it. I said it's God-given. Your God-given role in it, even if you can't see your impact, you are where you are supposed to be and you are doing what you are supposed to do. So don't be distracted. Do it. Let the Lord set the rhythm and the pace of your life. Amen? Amen. Some of us, we just bail. Hey, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. I know this is supposed to be happening, but I'm just tired. That's what I think happened with David. I'm just tired. I've won a lot of battles, seen a lot of victories. I just don't feel like swinging a sword one more time. I've got capable people around me. I've got people who can get it done. I'm going to take some me time. Be careful about too much free time. Don't carve out for yourself seasons of rest. Stay in the rhythm of God's will for your life. Don't break rhythm. You are never more at risk of distraction than when you are out of place, out of sync. And sometimes, folks, participation means protection in your life. So back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in sync with his season. He was in the rhythm of grace. He had a vision for his purpose. And the vision was simple. I am here to build. I can't build this wall on my own. I don't have the capacity to do this by myself. But I've got a little section and I've got a sword and some bricks and I'm just going to build. That's my vision. That's what I see for myself. God gave it to me for the season of life that I'm in. And sure enough, the temptations to distraction come, don't they, folks? They do. And they come. And what, 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 what do they say? What does Sam Ballot and Gershom say? 
Hey, you look tired. Are they working you too hard? Do you know how many people have said that to me? You look tired. Are you working too hard? I'm like, dang, not hard enough. (laughs) I want to do loads of things. You look tired. Are they working you too hard? Come take a break. David, you don't need to swing that sword again. Joab's here. Come take a break. Bail out. Go lie on that couch. Take a nap, David. Take a nap. Take a walk on the roof. What's the worst that could happen? You've earned it. You've earned it. You're working too hard. And so they came to break Nehemiah's rhythm. They came to break his stride. And folks, let me talk to you about striding for a second here. Striding is simply taking decisive steps in a certain direction. They don't have to be big. They just have to be regular. Can we stride? I'm going to stride. I'm going to just take a step that direction every day. I I believe that God has me here for a reason. There's a purpose for my life and I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. So I'm just going to walk in that general direction. And let me give you something else, another tip. If you don't know what to do, don't do nothing. Find spiritual people and just do what they do. Yeah? You don't know what to do, don't do nothing. Just find spiritual people and do what they are doing. But guess what most spiritual people are doing? They're building. They are acting as agents for the gospel in the place where they're planted because God desires his people to flourish, to be planted. Read Jeremiah 17, to have deep roots so you can bear fruit in season and out of season. Principle, the enemy loves to use the opinions of people to break our rhythms, especially when we're in stride. You need to see that, folks. We need to see that. Opinions come to break rhythm. Opinions come and and they hit me and I stop and I look at them and, 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 and all of a sudden, I'm not walking in the stride of who I am. I'm a new creation, called, gifted, released, anointed, graced. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm considering opinions Nehemiah said, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Nehemiah knew the value of the work God put him in. I said, Nehemiah knew the value of the work that God put him in and he knew the value of his part in that work. Principle, valuing where God has you and what he has you doing is the key to staying in God's rhythm and avoiding distraction. I'm going to value who I am and where I am. I'm going to be deliberate about valuing it. A healthy vision of the gospel work that God has put you in and your part to play in it. Amen? Amen. Yes, positive. Not everything, folks, when you're walking in that sort of stride, is worthy of dropping your tools over. Your priorities shift, they change. Not everything can command your attention when you are in that place. Things will come to command your attention, but valuing who you are and where you are 
can keep you focused, some declarations. This work is good. Say it with me. This work is good. Principle, do not engage in negative conversations about your church. And silence fell upon the room, upon the gathering. Instead, express thankfulness in what God is doing. Listen, it's a church, so there's going to be loads of broken things. And the day it's perfect, it'll be because you stop coming in. Right? It's the truth. It's the truth. It is a church. It is supposed to be about the grace of the Almighty. This is about the grace of Jesus. This is about the gospel, the redemptive love of God, the redemptive act of Calvary. That is what this is about. That means that church is a bunch of people who don't deserve to be loved, but are anyway. Listen, there's no genius in diagnosis. There's no genius in calling something as you see it. But we serve a God who calls things that are not as though they are. Can you call, can you call, can you see things as they are in God and speak that out as our God does? Where where we're going? How, How should we start having conversations about the direction as opposed to the condition at present? We're going this way. Look at where we were and now look at where we're going instead of look at where we are. Positive conversations expressing thankfulness about the place God has put you. And the next one is this. Say it with me. My role is important. Oh, say it like you mean it. Come on. My role is important. Principle. I will not devalue my role in the church. My part in the work. I will not know the full impact of my presence until eternity. And like a body, every part is unique and important. Jesus doesn't have an appendix. Hey guys, I'm going to take a drink of water while you find your sense of humor. I'm just, I'll be just two seconds there. Give me a second. Just one moment. You might be in your wallet. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have an appendix. There's, no, there's nothing in the body of Christ that can be removed in that way. There's nothing that's surplus to requirements. Amen? And this might sound irreverent, but he does have an armpit. What does that mean? It means that even the least flattering function or role in the body is important. (laughs) So when he sweat drops of blood, where did that come from? So when he was sweating, where did that come from? Sweat, he had armpits, he did, and he still does. That means if you come in and do the least flattering thing in the body, it's still a vital, unique purpose keep somebody somebody needs to keep sweating in the house amen somebody amen let's keep it going we'll keep it rolling verse 8 look at this I sent him this reply nothing like what you're saying is happening they were telling him that he was starting a rebellion a revolt that he was trying to make himself king 
They were putting all sorts of agendas and intentions onto him that weren't real. I want to talk about gaslighting for a second here. We'll talk about gaslighting. I've got a big, long forensic definition because I couldn't find anything simpler. Gaslighting is an increasing frequency of systematically withholding factual information from and or providing false information to a victim, having the gradual effect of making them anxious and confused and less able to trust their own memory and perception. Yeah. Speaking things over other people, people's opinions, the things they voice and put over you, they may not be true, they may not be accurate, they may not be right. And they can put you into that place of anxiety and confusion. You can lose even that sense of grounding as, you know, your even self-perception can be damaged. That can be what happens when we start to internalise people's opinions. That can be the difficulty there. I love this meme. This is John Krasinski. It says, the version of me you created in your mind is not my responsibility. Amen? Oh, no one's been prejudged in the house, no? <laughs> the version of you, of me, that you created in your minds is not my responsibility. Principle. I am not responsible for the version of me you have created in your head. How many of us have become distracted and discouraged because somebody thinks something of us that we don't believe is true? How many times? We've been derailed because we feel like we've been misrepresented in the minds of people we seek approval from. I honestly believe that this is one of the biggest causes of distraction that we can deal with. Why can't they see who I am, where I am, where I'm really at? A prejudgment principle. People's prejudgments, their opinions of you, your heart, your motives, your agendas, don't have to be entertained. What did Nehemiah do? You're making it up in your head, mate. That's on you. You know, one of the best things you can say to a gaslighter is, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm so sorry you feel that way about me. That's awful. I'm terrible. You must be really going through something dealing with that version of me that only exists within the four walls of your mind. Nehemiah dismissed it outright. Outright. Which means he didn't internalise those opinions. Some people here, including myself, we need the Lord for this. God, give me the grace to not internalise the opinions of people around me. It's a distraction. It's a distraction. He didn't internalise it. Well, is there some truth to that? Well, you know, um, is, is that true? You know, He didn't even try and justify himself. He didn't try and prove himself to them. He wouldn't let them gaslight him. He knew who called him and he knew the one who knew his heart. Amen. Do you know the one who's called you tonight? Do you know the one who knows your heart? The only one who can judge the heart and the motives. It's Jesus. He's the only one when you get secure in what he knows about you, what other people think they know about you matters less. Galatians 1.10, Paul said this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, 
I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul, in this verse, he experiences something or is telling us about an experience of freedom from the opinions of people that released him into true gospel ministry, gospel-centered ministry. And I actually believe that it's as simple as a prayer. Lord Jesus, help me to see that I'm called, that I belong to you, and that I have a place in your house and a purpose that is unique to me. When you walk that way, you can really serve him because the opinions of others no longer have the power to distract. Principle, trying to prove yourself to someone who doesn't know you is a sure way to distract you from being who God created you to be. You can't change people's opinions, but you can change how you react to them. Amen? Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah comes and he says, Lord, this is about the wall. This is about what God has called me to do. I can recognise now what these, these opinions and thoughts, what they really are about. This is about what you have me doing right now in this season, Lord. This is to distract me through discouragement so I will withdraw from battle. That's what this is about. And so instead of, of putting the sword down like David did, Nehemiah prayed a simple prayer that we can all pray. God be my strength. Lord, just be my strength. Sustain me. It means sustain me. Sustain me, Lord, in it. I'm going to end really shortly here. And I want to look at Matthew 27. And I want to look at the cross tonight, folks. Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 38, the two rebels were crucified with Jesus, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him. They were shaking their heads and saying, you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. Jesus was surrounded by opinions. Surrounded by opinions. All trying to get him to come down from the cross. Verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Come down and prove yourself. That's what that was about. Come down and prove yourself. Jesus didn't come down to justify himself, to prove himself. He remained on the cross to justify others. He didn't come down to prove himself, who he was, who he was in God, what his identity was. He didn't do it. He stayed on the cross so that he could justify other people. He was building a wall of salvation. Jesus was heaven's Nehemiah, sent to heaven to, sent down from heaven to rebuild the walls of salvation, given a vision of broken people, given a vision beyond himself, beyond where he was in life, to people 
who needed the security of a total salvation, the security of a complete salvation, those who needed salvation, a salvation to the uttermost. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Hallelujah. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I can't come down. I can't come down. This is about salvation, folks, about other people. I'm positioned by God. I will not position myself. I have a role in the part in the in the work of restoration. I have a role in the work of the gospel in the season I'm in, in the place God has put me. And my work, it's a unique thing. You know what I love about that passage in uh, Samuel, about David, is when the scriptures say rooftop, another word, actually, that word also means altar. Atop the altar. And like David, Jesus was on top of an altar and his eyes were on a woman as well. On a woman as well, except she was not one of exceptional beauty and she belonged to no one. She wasn't clean, but she was dirty and destitute. The scriptures say she was wallowing in her blood. It was her bride. It was his bride. He had an eye on the church. He had an eye on the church. He had a vision of the church. I'm going to end by reading Hebrews chapter 12 with you, just the first few verses. If you'll turn there with me, please. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, give me vision. Lift your hands with me tonight, please, in faith. Jesus, give me vision. Let me see you. Let me see the reality, the, the depth, Lord, of the need around me. Help me to see that I'm called. Yes. People who value where they are, who they are in God, when they see the position that they have, they don't have to fall under the wheel of distraction. So Lord, give me the grace to see these things. Give me the grace to see the need. Lord, give me the grace, Lord Jesus, to continue on and not to allow discouragement from opinions, the opinions of people, distract me from a good work, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Distractions will come, opinions will come. Give me the grace tonight, Lord Jesus to sink with my season, to be thankful for where I am and what I am currently doing. And Lord, to see you as heaven's Nehemiah. You are the one, Jesus. You are the one who hung there because you had an eye on me. Thank you, Lord. We worship you tonight. Amen. Thank you, Lord.
thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.